Be the right club. Be the right club today. Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. Uh, this episode is going to be a straight interview from Brendan Todd. I can't believe he held his appointment. We had it scheduled for uh, this Tuesday here at Sea Island, and he won Monday in a different country. And uh, surprisingly, uh, he acted like it was no big deal. He's like, ah, of course I'll do it. And uh, we recorded this here on Tuesday morning at Sea Island after he just won back-to-back tournaments on the PGA Tour after visiting the depths of the wilderness. We're going to dive so deep into it. There's no detail really left unturned. We were talking a bit after we stopped recording, and I actually almost, I thought about turning the mics back on for what he was saying of, you know, like that time period, it was, it was hard to go go to the grocery store. Like you just feel down all the time. Like golf is, is just part of it. You'd be like, everything you do, you're still thinking about like how crappy you're playing and how just, it was, you, you could tell how much all of this meant to him. And we do break that down in great detail, but it's very important to understand all of that context uh, when evaluating what what just happened and winning back-to-back tour events, which is just insane. So thanks a ton to Brennan for the time. You guys are going to love this interview. It's one of my favorite ones we've ever done just because of the the wide range of of the of the golf life that I guess he has lived. And uh, it's always a lot more fun to do that out the other end and on the good side. Uh, before we do blast this off, it is not too early to knock out the perfect gift for the golfer uh, on your list this holiday season. Our friends at Callaway have made that unbelievably easy to do. You know, we talked about the ChromeSoft deal the last couple podcasts, but if you go to callawaygolf.com slash gift guide, you can find a gift in any price range ranging from those ChromeSoft golf balls with the free personalization the new Odyssey Stroke Lab 10 putter, or a women's solitaire set to everyday items like the Clubhouse backpack or even play it safe with a gift card. There's something for everyone. You go to callawaygolf.com slash gift guide today. Just take that link, send that on to somebody and say, hey, here's what I want for Christmas. Hey, mom, here's a free idea for what, what I'd like. And uh, it takes care of everything. So thanks again uh, to Brennan Todd for the time. And without any delay, here is the interview. So take me back a year ago this time is that when everything started to turn around it really is um i had gone on vacation in uh, august of 2018 and i took bradley hughes's ebook with me it's called the great ball strikers and it was recommended to me by an old college teammate on our national championship team in 2005 at georgia david denham and he said man I, i really like these guys videos online he's got some really good lower body stuff and some footwork drills, and I think you should check him out. So I went on his website and got his book, went on vacation and read it, and just thought it was amazing. He talked about his his career and what a good player he was and the feelings he had, and then he basically goes through all the greats from Bobby Jones to Ben Hogan to Nicholas Palmer, Trevino, Snead, Tiger, and just kind of breaks down their swings and shows you what the real similarity is. and. Pretty much every good player, no matter when they pick up a club or how long they've been playing, from about halfway down in the golf swing through impact, it looks pretty similar. Hmm. Um, everybody delivers it fairly shallow, um, gets the face squared up pretty soon, and then releases it and you know finishes to a full finish, full balance f- finish. Is this the 430 impact position? Yeah, so he okay. calls it the 430 impact position as if you were looking at a clock 
and you went to where the 430 hand would be, mm -hmm. and you put that clock down below your feet, and you tried to put the golf club at 430 on the way down, it's probably from, from the down-the-line camera view, it's going to match your right forearm. And I think I saw a recent Golf Digest article that showed like the top 10 drivers on tour, and almost every guy, pretty much every guy had the driver laying right on his right forearm. So it sort of proved his point. But anyways, I go on vacation, I read this book, I like it, I book a couple lessons with him. Um, I thought his stuff was really good, but I was still just mentally not there, burned out from missing. And we're far into the process, right? If you've worked with a lot of different people up to this point. I've worked with a few, yeah, yeah. But I was just, you know, I was, this is the end of 2018 season. I just missed all eight cuts on the PGA Tour that year. Um, it was my third year in a row, basically, of having the swing yips and hitting the ball to the right with pretty much anything from a seven iron through a three wood off the ground. I, I did it sometimes with my driver, but mostly, like, if I got that, that just long iron or that three wood off the deck where you're, you're looking to hit that tight little draw or even looking to hit just a tiny controlled fade. If I got a little quick, a little ahead of it, the ball went 50 yards right. So um, I take six weeks off. In, this is in fall of in, 18. In, yeah, in the fall of 18, September of 2018. And, and Brad has sent me some, some of his drills. And if you're a Brad Hughes fan and you go online, he has a eight drill series that you can buy online that are phenomenal and they can help anybody from a professional, a tour pro, the best player in the world to somebody who just picks up a club. And that's sort of his genius is that he's broken the swing down into a series of what I would call feelings or forces that you're going to feel in the golf swing that uh, will help you line the club up on the way down, feel what impact should feel like and feel what a proper finish should feel like. He's not that uh, particular about the backswing, even though he does have a backswing drill in his series. Well, I, I hope you're getting a commission on the sale of these books because I did <laughs> as soon as I read that article about you know what you've done to kind of get back to where you are, I, saw, I download that book immediately. I'm like, oh, this sounds like right. it's for me. I got through like 20 pages of it. I'm like, man, this is this is an investment for like this is this is not like a quick tip. This is not a quick tip kind of thing. This right. is like a philosophy. And like, I'm like, man, I've never thought about my forearms on a downswing or anything right. like the stuff that he talks about. But uh, it is kind of like a, it was it was eye opening to me of like, oh, well, I've never thought of the golf swing like that, like that. So what is it in particular that about his techniques and drills and fundamentals that stuck out to you the most? Was it the forearm thing on the way down? It's that he wants you to feel things. He wants you to feel pressures in the golf swing, and he doesn't want you to paint lines on a camera. That's the biggest thing. Most teachers are going to video your golf swing, put you in this neat studio with cameras and TVs that and we're lines sitting in that right we're now. sitting in right now, <laughs> and they're going to say, make the club go here and here and here. And they don't really tell you why, except just that they tell you that's going to make you a better golfer, except what it does is make you have a prettier golf swing. It doesn't mean you're going to really know when the face gets to square and where the golf, golf ball is going to go. So these are pressures that were proven by him when he played well because he's a two-time Australian Masters champion in 93-98, 94 President's Cup member, eight or nine years on the PGA Tour from 95 through 2003. He grew up playing with Greg Norman, studied his swing. He's in the book. I really trusted that. I'm getting this information from a guy who's been there, done that, who's watched other greats do it. And now has taken, you know, he stopped playing in 2008. He took five years, basically, I believe, to sit down, think about what he wanted to do, how he wants to teach, and come up with all these, uh, not these, he didn't come up with these ideas. He wrote down what he thought was important in the golf swing, and he went and studied the yeah, older it's swings. Not, like professionals aren't necessarily, they understand their golf swing, a lot of them, and they exactly. don't necessarily aren't prepared for, to handle 
not just another person's swing, but a lot of different golf swings, right? Because everybody swings the club a little bit differently. Exactly. Yeah. And, and he shows that in the book because you go from Jim Furyk to uh, Raymond Floyd, their back swings couldn't be further apart. I mean, literally the club head's probably two feet apart from each other if you were to put those swings on a camera next to each other halfway back. So he just shows you can take it back any way you want, and they all bring the club down in a similar fashion, and that's what a, that's what gets you that pure squared-up strike and impact. So for me, back to your question, what worked for me is he started me off hitting an impact bag with just my left hand and just my right hand from that 430 position. In my basement, at home, when I'm not going out playing tournament rounds, I can literally just retrain my body how to move the right way. And I say retrain because obviously I've done this at a high level for probably my whole life, but I got away from it. Part of it was mechanical, part of it was mental, and eventually it was all mental because I'm sure I was lining the club up nice at times on the range, but I was going to the golf tournaments and I was scared and I didn't know where it was going. That's and one of my questions. On the range, you're hitting it good through well, the Sometimes, yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing is, there was three years there, 16, 17, 18. So, yeah, for sure. Like, by, I had I, The yips for me started, like some people might know, at the 2015 BMW Championship in the third round, final group of Jason Day. You know, high-pressure situation. I've got a four-iron ball above my feet on the fourth hole from probably 210 to a front-right flag. And I'm, I've got a new golf swing, so to speak. And I don't really trust it right there. And all of a sudden, the ball goes 50 yards right in the bushes. I make a triple bogey. And I'm like, whoa. Where did that, where come, did from? that come from? I haven't hit that shot in six years. So, you know, where is that coming from? And unfortunately, I didn't realize that the swing adjustment I'd made before that event, which was to close my club face going back, is what probably caused this because I had some immediate success with it in that I shot 68 63 the first two rounds that week and hit it pretty solid so it's like oh this works then all of a sudden you get under pressure and it doesn't work and you're like hmm is it the change is it me where do you go so I kind of stick with the feeling through the fall but I go to Vegas and shoot 66 80 Um, I go to Jackson and shoot a couple rounds in the mid 70s I come here in MDF here at Sea Island and I remember you know being really scared on a few of these tee shots like five and seven where you've got hazards right and all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, don't hit that 50-yard right shot again. So the, Is that a tough place to play professional golf? Yeah, so the, the yip, like, it got in there fast, and it was very mental. And so for my teacher at the time, Scott Hamilton, it was very difficult to then go, okay, let's go back to what we did, what we were doing before we made this adjustment. Because then when I come back to tournament golf in the spring, I mean, it's still, it's still in my mind. And, and the thing that, that people don't realize about competitive golf is 18 holes takes five hours to play. That's a lot of time to concentrate. There's a lot of time to think. There's a lot of time to wait between shots. You're going to have a lot of different emotions and feelings and pressures during the round. And then over the course of four rounds, it's 20 hours. So you really are putting in some time out there. We have to be very calm, very focused, very trusting in what you're doing. And that's something you cannot practice on the range, right? I mean, no. you can get it. So, but I want to go back. So you, you do, you've described this as a yip. What is a I think everyone listening to this knows, has their own version of what a yip is. But in your mind, what is a yip? Because not a lot of people associate that with the full golf swing. Yeah, a yip is when you can do something automatically, um, a movement automatically that you've done probably thousands, ten thousands of times, which is the golf swing for me or the putting stroke for, for any pro. Putting, chipping, golf swing. We've all done it ten plus thousands of times. And in a way, it's really automatic. You go up and down the range at a PGA Tour event and everybody hits it good, they putt it good, they chip it good. 
But you'll see guys in baseball, basketball, free throws, um, probably archery, field goal kickers, golfers, they get what's described as the yips, where they're performing an automatic motion that they've done tens of thousands of times. And when it comes time to do it in competition, they have a performance anxiety or a mental block that causes their motor pattern to stop working the same way and kind of spaz out. And so what, what was your yip in particular? The ball's going way right. Is it just at impact? You had trouble closing the club face. You're coming over the top. I don't understand the calls <laughs> right, that well, so right. I can't so keep going. But. For me, the, the thing that was so frustrating about it is that, you know, you, we pro golfers work on, our, all golfers work on our routines and we get our routines dialed in to be the same every time. And that's what a sports psychologist would tell you is going to be the answer to, you know, hitting the ball consistently well. Well, I've had the same routine at this time for like six or seven years, and now I've had it for probably 10 years. So why all of a sudden did that routine stop working for me? Well, when I would get over the ball and I would take my last look at the target and I would take my last waggle, by the time I start pulling the club back, I've got so much pressure in my hands and my arms and my brain is literally just like, oh my gosh, don't hit it right. And for me, all that extra tension in my hands and arms led to a faster transition at the top and then a little bit of a steeper downswing and just no time to square the face up, as mm-hmm. you said, at impact. Hmm. And that's and the thing is, like I said, we hit 70-some shots around or 60-some shots around, and it didn't happen every time, but it would happen for some reason a few times around, just enough to shoot 74 instead of 70. Enough to throw fear in you, I exactly. imagine, not be able to play with confidence because the way – you guys aim shots and the way you guys approach shots, you can't stand over a ball and fear it going some direction. It's like, no, I've got to hit it at this target. Right. And so I imagine you have played at least, you know, to the point where you've got to be extremely successful and competitive that the way you're aiming is very different than when things started to go wrong. Yeah. So the difficult part for me was it did change the way I aimed. I'm all of a sudden aiming to more general targets. I'm aiming just in the middle of greens in the middle of fairways and it was more difficult to create that visual that you want over the ball saying, okay, this ball is going to start right center, and it's going to turn left center, and it's going to get 10 feet right of the flag, or you know, it's going to start in the edge of the left rough and just fade into the middle of the fairway. And like you said, when a professional golfer is on, their aim is very specific, the picture in their head is very clear, and you know, we are able to get, um, you know, hit it very close to the hole. So, okay, so from what I gather, though, your struggles, like we're going to call that the stretch from 16 to 18. It was not necessarily just the yip because the yip triggered you taking a lot of action with your golf swing. So what did, what else, what did you do to try to combat this? What, what were you working on? What changed in the rest of your game to kind of, cause that was the way I see it is the yip kind of was like the Jenga, a piece of the Jenga, uh, Jenga board that kind of everything kind of fell apart after that. So can you, can, we're going to get to the positive stuff here. Yeah. I, I promise, but kind of take us through that. By the end of 2016, obviously I finished 209 maybe on the PGA Tour FedEx list. So I don't have PGA Tour status minus my past champion status. I don't have Corn Ferry Tour status. I go to the Corn Ferry second stage of Q school and I miss. And so I knew I had the next year I would get some past champion starts. Um, but really for me, it was just I didn't work a whole lot with a teacher the first half of that year. And I really just tried to go back to you know, feeling some of the feelings I'd had when I played well. Um, and I did that and I mean, I had, I had some decent results. I went and shot 66 in the Tampa qualifier and Monday in, but I missed the cut. 
and then I went to the Byron Nelson and made the cut and finished 40-something. And then I go to uh, Wilmington for the Wells Fargo Championship, and I shoot 68 in Monday qualifying. But I couldn't make any of the cuts because even though I could shoot 66 or 68 on a 7,000-yard Monday qualifier course, when I get on the big golf course, there's still just not enough confidence there in the tank. And there's ball more striking mid- or long irons on No doubt. Courses, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm, you're hitting nothing but, you know, four to seven irons for me being a below-average length hitter. So I was just in a position where I was still aiming too generally, didn't have a specific shot shape, um, and I just really wasn't fully back. So at the end of 17, you know, me and Scott Hamilton are still working a little bit, and he recommended that I go talk to another teacher, VJ Trollio. So I do some of his stuff from December of 17 through about April of 2018. And he's a great guy, and I love him to death, and I feel like you know, some of his principles are very sound, and I'm probably doing some of, the, some of them a lot better now. But at the time, it just wasn't clicking, and I don't really know why that was. And that's the thing about the struggles is that just because one teacher works and another teacher doesn't doesn't always mean that that teacher is so much better than the other. Sometimes it's just timing. matchups. Yeah, like when, when do you go work with a guy? Are you coming off some stressful events, or do you have some time off? Um, is maybe their formula right for you? Maybe it isn't, isn't right for you. The biggest thing I've learned through this, because unfortunately I've had two slumps in my pro career, I like to feel like the club face opens going back and squares up coming down. And if you tell me to keep it square or closed going back, I'm probably going to get in trouble. Maybe not initially, but definitely down the road. So it's too bad I had to learn it twice, and it's too bad I've had, I had to have a three-year struggle. But I think we can say today, right now, that it was maybe not worth it, but it it's made me so much stronger, so much better. It's provided me this opportunity now to have great success and understand my game and myself yeah. so much better. It's and I feel like now, you know, sort of the, you know, golf is my oyster in a way. And I actually have an opportunity now to go have a really long, successful career out here, which has always been my dream. Well, that's, I mean, again, you were coming off directly off back-to-back wins on the PGA Tour. I mean, this is the, the biggest layup, easy question you can have. Like, could you have pictured poss- this happening? Or when, I guess, better question, when, when was the first time you thought you could picture this all happening for you again? Uh, again, it, it wasn't until Bermuda, really. Really? Yeah, because winning back-to-back is so difficult out here. I don't even necessarily mean winning back-to-back. I mean, like, competing, like, being extremely competitive. Not even necessarily okay. winning, but, like, saying... So I would say, you know, back at the Wells Fargo this year... Uh, I finished 17th or 18th, and I shot maybe a bogey-free 400 on, the, on Sunday there. And I really felt like I was back because that's a very demanding golf course, tee to green. I had to hit a lot of good drivers, a lot of good fives and six irons into the greens there, and I did it well. I played very solid that week. So I think that was probably the week where I was like, okay, I feel pretty good about where my game's heading. I've got a lot of confidence in my ball striking. How did you get that start? Is that past champs start? I got a sponsor exemption. Sponsor exemption. So shout out to the Wells Fargo yeah. Championship um, and their tournament director, Gary Soba, who was super nice and generous to me to give me a spot this year. And, um, you know, I've told him a million times how much that rejuvenated my career. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, we caddied, uh, DJ and I went out and caddied at the uh, Monday qualifier for here yesterday. Oh, nice. And okay. like legitimately the conversation around that was like, hey, Brendan Todd was here. A year ago, he shot 61 and got into RSM, and like you were literally while we were out there, we're like following it, and you had won the event. Right. So it's like it's like a, something that I, I can people can view Monday qualifiers and kind of get beaten down by them. Mm-hmm. It's a very mm-hmm. low percentage mm-hmm. of people that get in, and then even when you get in, you're not guaranteed to make the cut, of course. And it's but it's like 
also your life can change with one golf tournament. And so for you in, in 20, sorry, this was 2019, you're playing, you have no status anywhere, correct? Except for you're getting, you're getting past champ starts. Is that right? Correct. And so you played enough on the PGA tour in 2019 through past champs and probably through this finish with Wells Fargo to get enough points to be 126 to 200 on the FedEx, which gets you into corn Ferry finals, right? Which yeah. first take us there. So let's go back to, um, I've read Brad's book. Mm -hmm. I'm doing his drills at home in September. I'm taking a month off of golf and I get a phone call from an old caddy on the nationwide tour, Ward Jarvis. And he is now a uh, performance golf coach and he's a stutterer and he has what he would call performance anxiety. And he says, look, I can help you. He says, I think what I battle with stuttering is similar to what you're battling with the yips in golf. And at that, before then, I probably never even called them the yips because I, you hadn't identified. I really, I, I wouldn't believe it. You know, people ask me like, you know, how did you go three years playing that poorly and never believe you could come back? And for some reason, I look at golf, the practicing golf more as like a process and something I enjoy doing. And, you know, essentially playing on the PGA Tour is the dream I had as a little kid. So I had enough money in the bank to afford to struggle for three years and not make money and keep the belief and I took the approach that I am going to go play Monday qualifiers. I probably played 10 to 15 each year, 17 and 18, and, um, and, and 19. I mean, I probably played 10 or 12 more this year. And I viewed those Monday qualifiers as my tournaments. So I would prepare during the week before just like guys would prepare for, you know, a regular PJ Tour event. And I would go there on Sunday morning. I'd play a practice round. I'd spend the night. I'd be disciplined. I'd show up the next day and try and shoot a low round, and I would learn from whatever I did in that, and I would try to go get better for the next one. So during that time off in September, I knew I had the second stage of Q school coming up again, and I had Ward helping me out. I had Brad helping me out, and all of a sudden things start to click when I pick the clubs up again in October, and I'm playing some nice golf. And I, um, I remember I walked four rounds at home, to try and get ready for second stage because I hadn't played a tournament right. in two and a half months, yeah. which you don't really hear of tour players walking all that often. <laughs> uh, I even played some rounds by myself. I mean, I was like, I'm, I'm doing this. And I go to second stage, I shoot maybe 71, 74, 68. And I know the last round, and I'm in Mobile, Alabama. Scores are low. And I know I've got to shoot probably 61 to qualify. So essentially, I've got a Monday qualifier on my hands for the final round. It's like, go out guns blazing, play the best round of your life, and see if you can make it. So I'm trying to birdie every hole, and I happened to shoot 963 that day. And was like, man, that was fun. I felt in the zone. That was a good feeling. That's what Ward's been telling me. He's like, you just got to sort of neutralize the negative, you know, get what he would call forwardly constructive with your game. You know, look at each day as a new opportunity to go out there and play great. I did a great job of it that day. And so then I've got the RSM qualifier at Brunswick Country Club coming up, which is a place I've played. And I go out and shoot 961. And I'm like, holy cow. It's there. It's there. Yeah. Funny story about that day. I'm carrying a golf bag that on the seventh hole, I pick up the bag with the strap to walk up to the green. I'm three under par and I've got 15 feet for birdie and the strap breaks. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm playing great right now. I can't believe this is happening. Like I'm gonna have to get a caddy at the turn to carry my bag suitcase style. And I go make the putt and I come over and I find a way to fasten the strap back to the bag. And I'm like, all right. And I go to the next hole and hit stripe it and make a par. I birdie nine, I birdie 10, and then I shoot 61. But I literally thought that the broken strap was gonna derail my, <laughs> you know, like the best round of my life, if you will, from Caddyshack. And, uh, 
qualify in, shoot four rounds in the 60s. And that's when I got the momentum to be like, all right, I'm not pursuing anything else. I'm going to play golf for at least another year. I'm going to chase these Monday qualifiers. I'm going to play my past champion starts. And, um, you know, I went on to, you know, build up a, a pretty solid year because in uh, 10 or 11 events, you know, I probably made $350,000 and qualified for the Corn Ferry Finals. Because yeah. that's the thing, And too, that's the big thing. Is there's a certain comfort's not the right word, right? But when you, you can make out your schedule, when you know you're going right. to play 25 events, you can game plan, you can choose the courses you want to play, you mm-hmm. can plan for your family, you have a family life, like right. there's more things that go into it. When you don't know when you're going to play, then like the pressure on each week has to be that much greater. So mm-hmm. are you, let's go back actually, let's, you know, I heard you, I've heard you say some things about, you know, you were thinking about giving it up, you were close to maybe giving it up. What was the closest you got to it? And, and what was, I mean, obviously right. the struggles are, are what led, leads to that, but what was, were you getting kind of beaten down just saying, I don't want to do this anymore? Well, take us yeah, to the definitely, low point. You know, after I missed all the cuts in 2018 and I've decided to take six weeks off, uh, I mean, my wife and I were definitely talking about potentially, you know, doing something else and trying to find another way to make a living. So uh, my financial manager from Atlanta, Drew Klepchek, drove over to Athens and sat down. And we had a, had a nice meeting and just like, look, you're still okay financially, but I do think it's it's you know good for you to at least explore options um, elsewhere. He's like, you can go in the corporate world, you can become a college golf coach, you can open a franchise. He's like, personally, I think if you're looking to still play some golf, he's like, I think owning some sort of a franchise is probably the way to go, and you end up finding a good manager and they run it. And he had a friend who helped uh, Your Pie, which is a pizza franchise out of Athens, um, start these pizza franchises. And so he helped them and he's helped some other franchise companies. So we we're going to sit down with him in December and have a meeting. And then I go to second stage and then I go to the RSM and I play yeah. well and we squash the meeting and we hmm. say, okay, you're off and running. So it was that close. It was, to, it was that close. Yeah. Wow. If I did not pl- shoot 61 in the RSM Monday qualifier <laughs> and I shoot 68 and I miss, I'm probably not sitting. I'm definitely not sitting here today. Oh my goodness. That's unbelievable. What, uh, take me to another person a book that you read Mm -hmm. also that helped you kind of this came from ward i believe right uh another person that has dealt with kind of this performance anxiety that you mentioned take us to with the book that you read right um rick ann keel who is a famous baseball player for the st louis cardinals wrote a book called the phenomenon um and it talked about his battle with the pitching yips he was a superstar baseball player from the time he was little in the state of florida and he you know, went on in the major leagues, and he's a young, hot rookie sensation. And I'm not sure if it was his first or second or third year in the big leagues, but he's pitching in the first game of a series in uh, the playoffs, and he throws five or six wild pitches that pass the catcher. Um, and he, at that moment, lost his ability to control the pitches. And you know, for a guy who's been such a great athlete his whole life, and probably didn't throw five or six wild pitches all year that was a really scary moment for him and he wasn't able to come back you know pitching the next couple years and be anything like he was before that that game so he had to take a step back and reevaluate and sort of reorganize himself as a baseball player he decided to become an outfielder and work his way back up and I think he played some minor league ball and then he got back to the majors and I think he ended up winning the world series as an outfielder so just a super story about a guy who dealt with performance anxiety and kind of went through the same thing that a lot of athletes go through where you're great and then all of a sudden you have this 
you know, one bad motion and it, you know, just uproots your career. Right. So are you reading this and just thinking like, whoop, that's me, that's, that's me. me, that's me, yeah, that's me. exactly. What I think is fascinating about this is all these kind of things circling up together, right? Which right. is the Ricky and Keel part, Ward talking about coming from the stuttering background right. and you with the full swing. And we've, I mean, countless of PGA, not, not necessarily PGA sport players, but just people in general. Big Randy, one of our guys as well, has dealt with a yip with mm-hmm. a putting stroke. So right. one, I, I think the first piece of advice would be to read this book as far as getting over that mental hurdle. But if you're to give, teach some lessons about what you've learned mentally and how you got past that, you mentioned some of them kind of in passing about channeling the negative or neutralizing the negative. But what, what are the lessons? Take us there. Yeah, I think, um, so let's say you're, you're a golfer and, you know, whether you're playing matches with your buddies at home, your home course or you're playing amateur events or professional golf, you have to understand that 18 holes is a four or five hour experience and there's going to be a lot of waiting during that round. Every round you play, there's going to be a lot of waiting. And then there's waiting in between rounds. So you have to learn how to um, not beat yourself up when you're waiting, but build yourself up. So don't remember all the bad shots you hit. Let's think about some of the good shots you've hit. Let's go to the, let's think forwardly about the future shots you want to hit. So I think that skill in and of itself is maybe one of the most important to let's say never getting the yips or if you are battling maybe some struggles like everybody does to neutralizing those struggles and not making them worse than they actually are. Because we as humans do a very good job of um, turning okay situations into bad situations instead of okay situations into great situations. So, and then the other thing I would recommend is the, probably the best lesson I got from Bradley Hughes this year was in, I want to say April or May, but we were on the driving range at the University of Georgia and he asked me to rate the tension in my hands, my arms, and my feet over the ball out of 10. And I said, my hands are a seven, my arms are an eight, and my feet are an eight. He's like, all right, let's make them all a three. He's like, and hit a couple shots. And then he said, okay, that felt better because I was freer. And then he said, all right, ideally we would want your arms to stay at a three because when your arms get tight, the club stays really far away from you and then it's heavy. And then you're going to do things to compensate for that coming down and you're going to lose your timing. He's like, so let's keep your arms a three, but let's make your hands and your feet a five before you go back. So you're putting the most important, you're putting the pressure in the, the two places that actually are fixed to something. Your feet are fixed to the ground, your hands are fixed to the club. And when I did that, all of a sudden, my arms are free, and so they're moving um, I'm in like, sort of a flowing state. I'm like taking notes right yeah. now, like this and is then, my problem. <laughs> and then my hands now have the control to control where the club goes, how much it sets, where the face goes, and, and squaring it back up. And for me, that was huge not only because it made me hit the ball better at that moment, but it was something tangible I could use in competition when I'm under the most intense pressure, like I was this past weekend in Mexico, or even yesterday, or if I'm just warming up for a round and I want to make sure my swing feels good that day. So now all of a sudden I've got a, a scale to rate my tension level and to create rhythm and timing in my golf swing, which is probably the most important thing we have is rhythm and timing. Hmm. Yeah, like legitimately uh, the tension thing. I'm like, well, yeah, I do grip it really tight. Right. That's amazing. All right, so let's go back. Like we've we've done all this buildup, and I think that's very, very, very important to cover. 
to set up for we're back at Bermuda? Because you're coming off four missed cuts. It right. wasn't like you're just... Uh, four missed cuts, but then I made the cut in Houston with that miraculous bunker shot on nine, my 18th hole on Friday. <laughs> okay. So is that, is that, are you building off what happened in Houston? No like, doubt. So you're showing up. Okay, so you're in Bermuda. You're feeling, you're, you're feeling good going into that week. I'm feeling great. Really good. I okay. had just shot, I want to say 65 or 6 in the final round of Houston. So I played a heck of a round on a golf course that's long for me, never been my favorite golf course on tour. And so for me, that's a heck of a round. So now I've got a 63 at second stage, a 61 at the RSM qualifier. I shot 10 under in the US Open qualifier, 36 hole section, uh, sectional qualifier. I shot a bogey-free four round in the final round at Quail. I've shot a low round in the final round in Houston. And I finished second in Columbus with a bogey-free, or maybe a one bogey final round 66. So. I've now played some very important rounds this year, and I'm going to Bermuda like, all right, I've made a cut this fall. My game's in a good place. I played some great rounds in Houston, and I get to Bermuda, and it's just a golf course that fits my eye perfectly. To to back up, just to be clear, through this whole last year, is there even one single yip moment at any point? I did have one come up a couple come up there in evansville indiana okay so the third corn Ferry finals event so let's just say during the year the interesting thing was from second stage of q school last fall through the john deere i can honestly say i was walking into shots still fearing hitting it 50 yards right wow but i was able to focus on the right pressures in my golf swing and still hit good shots and i was like man all right, I've got this, but why can't I get that fear walking into the shot out of my head? So I talked to Ward and I talked to Brad a little bit about it. And, you know, Ward's advice was just like, look, you've got to look at this in, in three moments. You've got, you're going to plan the shot. That's your planning moment. You're going to execute the shot. That's your execution moment. And you've got your feedback moment when you see the result. He's like, you need to get from the planning moment to the execution moment. And instead of freaking out during that time that all of a sudden you have to execute and you're afraid of a bad result, relax and say I've planned it I'm gonna hit it and then I'm gonna get feedback and then I'm gonna go wait and I'm gonna go do it again and so he looks at this as just like four moments in that there's plan it execute it feedback and then wait and it kind of freed me up to say okay I know the fear is there but if I actually practice moving from planning to executing a little bit better maybe I can learn how to relax during that time so instead of trying to get rid of the fear, yeah. it's like, let's address it. Let's exactly. steer into it. Yeah, okay. let's, let's, move, let's move our attention over to what we want, which is to hit a good shot. We want to see the ball go into this little circle on the green that you've pictured in your eye during the planning moment. So that was a very important time for me. And I was able to use that to play well at the John Deere where I topped 20. Then um, I think the next week was Lexington. I made the cut. And Reno, I finished maybe top 25. And then... I go to the Corn Ferry Finals and I finish second place at the first event in Columbus and I'm feeling great, no yips. Uh, I've reduced the fear walking into the shots. I'm navigating the moments really good. And I get to Evansville, Indiana, the third Corn Ferry Final event. I've already, After you've secured your card. I've already locked up my card. <laughs> the course is big. It doesn't set up that great for me. 17's got water right. 18's got water right. I've got to hit driver on both of them. And on Friday afternoon, I'm probably tired. I'm probably not, I'm maybe even or a couple under, I'm not doing that well in the tournament. And all of a sudden I sail a driver, you know, 20 yards right into the lake. And then I go to the next hole and I sail a three wood right into the lake. And I think I sail another three wood right into the lake. And my guy is like, 
He's like, take your time here. He's like, are you good? He's like, calm down. You know, you just put this one in play. We're all right. And I think I make like a nine on 18. And it had to have been the third round because I'd already made the cut. So anyways, I shoot like 80. And, you know, that was that was a scary time because all of a sudden I've now kind of reintroduced the yips into my game again. Did Was it the yip or was I mean players can hit a, three straight was, right balls they can but this, this for me bad. it felt okay. it felt so similar okay um, and there's enough scar tissue there. yeah and so I went to the first you know the first couple fall events on the PJ tour you know obviously I missed the cuts and but I, I wasn't battling the yips really during that I'd kind of I'd kind of rallied and was starting to hit it fine again but it definitely did pop back up and okay. I've had to move past it again all right now so now we're back in Bermuda and what is the point you have a great start to the week, but it's a very bunched leaderboard kind of heading into Sunday. And then are you channeling like the, some of these things we've talked about here, like this final round of Q school that you had, no doubt all that. And you are, you black out the last right. round and have a shot for 59 and are coasting home. Right. You walk off the 16th green and say hi to your wife and kids. Yeah. And it's like, you've already got it one. Yeah. I mean, what, like, are you, what's the, what's the emotional reaction to that all? Like, are you thinking about where you've been and how you're standing here now? Are you very present in the moment? What's that like? I was pretty relaxed there the last day in Bermuda, and I would say that... That hole just looked like that, an ocean to you? <laughs> well, there's just no doubt that what I learned in the final round of second stage of Q School in the 61 at the RSM, I found a way to get into this mental state where I can go be aggressive, I can go trust my game, and I can go try and shoot a really low number. And I've been able to tap back into that a handful of times this year, and it's been really special and something that... I'm sure the best players in the world have and could speak to at length. Um, I personally have probably never had that. You know, I've never been a guy who just goes and rattles off nine unders all the time. I've shot them a couple of times, but I've never felt like I've done it this many times in a year. So I definitely channeled that mental energy the final round of Bermuda because I knew with a guy like Brian Gay sitting there, um, I think he was 15 under with me. Harry Higgs is already 1,700 for the tournament, playing great golf. I knew I needed to get to 20, 2,200 par to have a chance to win. So, you know, me and my caddy said, let's try and hit our short irons to tap in as many times as we can. And fortunately, I was able to go out there and I hit it close on two, hit a five iron close on uh, four, and another wedge close on, on five. And I just I got off to that flying start. And that's where it's, you know, I, I know a lot of people have and we have here, like have lingered on, you know, the, the times that, where things went wrong. But that's what makes that moment what it was, right? I mean, so are you – you won the Byron Nelson in 2014, but what is what's the best way you can simulate that feeling walking off having won that golf tournament? I mean, you had said in the in the interview right after, like I, I didn't know if I was going to be playing professional golf anymore. Yeah. Like it's one thing to come back and be competitive, like you right. won, and we haven't right. gotten to Mexico. You also won right. next week, so like, so I've been successful at every level of golf. You know, I won some of the biggest junior golf tournaments from the AJGA Rolex Tournament Champions to. Um, Big college events, SEC championships here at Sea Island, East Regional my senior year. I've won twice on the Corn Ferry Tour. Um, I'd won on the PGA Tour. I'd won PGA Tour Q School. So I'd played well under big pressure moments. Even when I had the yips and was a 75 shooter at home, I still knew I had that in me. It was just a matter of getting in position. So for for me in Bermuda, I didn't. I wasn't surprised I won the golf tournament. Um, it was emotional because of where I'd come from. And I was proud of the way I'd fought back, and I was proud of the way I was able to tap back into that mental state where I played really good in the final round when I really needed it because I've always prided myself on playing well in and around the lead. And if you look at my career, I have done that. I just haven't gotten in the lead that much. 
you know, I've never been a fast starter in tournaments. I think I've now only held maybe a couple 54-hole leads, and I've, I guess I've converted – I've only held one, I think, and I've converted it at the Byron. So, you know, it hasn't been something I've been in that position very often. But you win instead of a huge celebration. Well, I guess you get a week off. I imagine yeah. there's some we good celebration. We had a huge celebration okay. in Bermuda on Sunday night. I okay. mean, that was a blast. Um, <laughs> and then Seth right- Straka, a Georgia guy, stuck around with his brother, my caddy couple other caddies you know we went out and had a big steak dinner and some wine and um you know we we lived it up right that night did you feel and i uh, c- curious during that during the darker time like were there guys that were reaching out to you guys that like were kind of mentoring you in any way or kind of saying like hey i've been there man like, what was that what was feedback like from other players during that time uh 2017 2018 yeah you know it was pretty quiet yeah my phone was pretty quiet uh there's no doubt that i probably leaned the most on the people near where i lived you know i live in Watkinsville, Georgia, near Athens. Uh, Chris Kirk lives 10 minutes from me. We played a bunch of rounds together at home. So I'd pick his brain when I could. Um, There's a couple good, there were always some good guys who had graduated from Georgia that were playing. So we always had money games. And I really just used those money games to go out and kind of see where I was at, see if what I was working on was good. The tough thing is, sometimes you go play your home course, shoot 64, and you're like, oh, I've got it. But then you go to a tournament, shoot 72s, and you're like, okay, I don't have it. So you know, Coach Hack was very supportive. My wife, my family were all very supportive. But unfortunately, I can't, you know, say there were a lot of, uh, you know, other pros that are reaching out saying, hey, how you doing? You know, what can I help you with? And I'd say because of that now, the, the situation I'm in now, I live in a college town where the University of Georgia is. I'm trying to help those guys as much as I can. There's some other young pros in town. I'm trying to help those guys as much as I can. Even out here, I mean, I've talked to a handful of players in the last couple of weeks and you know, if they're picking my brain or if I'm picking their brain, I'm just trying to kind of encourage them because I now see that as such a valuable thing that's not done very much in the pro game anymore. Hmm. I was going to say, like, when, we were, when you were talking about opening up a pizza shop, I'm like, man, if your golf knowledge was going to waste, like, I remember you, we, I saw you two years ago, right around this time in the fall, you were doing like a, an outing at, uh, for a mutual friend of ours and you were giving like chipping lessons. I still refer back to some of the things you said right. during that, those chipping lessons, but that's, that's for deep, deep into the future because obviously you're going to be out here for, for quite some time. But going, okay, so going from Bermuda straight to Mexico. Right. Are you, you're, you're still obviously feeling incredible about your game. Are you showing up ready to win in Mexico? Are you ready to go back out there and, and do that again? It's interesting. I took uh, six days off after I won Bermuda. I didn't touch a club. I responded to the 400 texts I had, as many as I could. Um, hung out with my kids, took them to school, soccer practice, uh, gymnastics, changed diapers, you know, just did the whole dad thing and, you know, was loving it. Um, and I went to Kevin Kisner's charity outing last weekend in Aiken, South Carolina, which supports um, the Aiken community really well. And that was a successful event at Sage Valley. And so that round on Sunday was my first round back after playing Bermuda. And it happened to be a scramble from 6,000 yards. So I got to go out there and make about eight or nine birdies, which was good for the confidence. And I show up in, in Mexico feeling good about my game still because I knew exactly what feelings worked for me in Bermuda and in Houston and in Columbus and at the John Deere and all those events I'd played well previously. So the good thing about where I'm at now is I don't feel like I need to go retool anything or go you know, seek a lot of advice. Um, you know, I felt ready to go. And so, okay, so take us there to, to that final round. Are you think? Are you? You got to be honest with me here. Are you thinking like, holy crap, I could do this two weeks in a row? Is that thought that ever come was to your probably mind? the biggest mental hurdle during that final round? Was I felt extra pressure 
that I was putting on myself to go back to back. Mm-hmm. This because is we know how cool too. that is. This is U.S. Open, not U.S. Open, sorry. This Masters. is Masters. And because you got your two-year exemption, you won. Right. And winning in the fall is the greatest thing ever because you have you're right. obviously exempt for the rest of that. This year and two years after that. But you didn't get Masters. It was an opposite field event. It wasn't a full purse. It wasn't right. full FedEx points. Like it was the the Mexico win. It wasn't your first win being back, but it was even it was much much more right. significant. Yeah, I mean, no offense to any player out here, um, but winning against the field in Mexico was feeling better and more difficult, you know, during those last two rounds than winning Bermuda. But it could have just been a case of how I played. Obviously, I got I was eight under through seven under through eight in Bermuda and I wasn't um, off to a fast start in Mexico in the final round so I had put a little bit more pressure on me by not getting a big lead you know me and Vaughn and Harris we're all making birdies we're all going back and forth and then we had Adam Long and Carlos Ortiz moving up the leaderboard and I'd played with Adam the first days he played incredible so I knew all those guys were threats it's a little bit more difficult golf course in Mexico too there's hazards on both sides of every hole you've got to be very laser focused off the tee the greens are past Palom so they're always a little bit difficult to putt. So here we are, you're first in the FedEx Cup, obviously when the new year hasn't Surreal. turned over. It's, it's unbelievable, but there's potentially some injuries coming down the line to the, the current President's Cup team. You're the hottest golfer probably in the world right now. Have you gotten any phone calls? Do you have any interest? Do you think you'd be a good fit for that team? What do I, have, you think? I have a ton of interest. I think I'd be a great fit. I've always been a good team player. I was on the morning drive this morning, and Damon Hack and those guys were all raving they're, about people it. People are drumming yeah, up. They're, the, they're the, saying I'd be, you know, I'd be a great pick, but look. I understand that the President's Cup is a one- or two-year process to qualify for. Um, the guys who are on that team earned their way on. The guys who are sitting just outside the number earned their way there. And, you know, rightfully so, Tiger can pick whoever he wants to replace whoever might potentially not be able to go on that trip. But we don't know. Maybe all 12 will be able to go. But um, obviously, if I had the opportunity, I would be thrilled. And I think I'd go down there and play great because I feel very good about my game. So that's and, a good fit course, yeah, too. I mean, I Royal Melbourne yeah. could be great for me. I've always played good on firm golf courses in the wind. That's why I was kind of, I was, when I saw that kind of, you know, popping up in media, I was like, is this a media created thing or is this a real thing? And I started thinking, the more I thought about it, I was like, man, you might as, might as well. But that's, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. I don't know if it's, uh, I was curious if you had gotten any phone calls. Or, uh, unfortunately or not, or not, but um, my phone's open. On the radar. <laughs> if you win three, if you win this week, put them on the, you should get a battlefield exemption. onto The, the funny team. thing is I was talking to Jerry Foltz in Bermuda, who works for the golf channel. Before the tournament started, we're on the range. He's like, man, your game's in a great place. He said, uh, you know, go win this week. Heck, go win three in a row. Maybe I'm at the President's Cup team. And he goes, actually, no, you won't make the President's Cup, even if you win three, three in a row. <laughs> Jerry's the best. He is a great guy. Um, all right. So I, I think goals questions can be, you know, kind of boring, to be honest. But now that you've won twice, what does your – going back, like, thinking about this, you know, some pros I've talked to have said – you know, when I used to try to make cuts, I lingered around the cut line. When I used to try to top 10, I lingered around the top 10. And when I started trying to win, I started winning. So does your, do your goals or mindset, does it change going forward having this, this success so far? I'd say yes and no, obviously. Uh, the no is that what's gotten me to play so well these last two events is sort of harnessing that let's go try to birdie every hole mentality every round. Um, and that's what I had to do, you know, during some of these low rounds of shot is basically go feel like I've got to birdie every hole. And that present aggressive mindset is probably the best place to be in golf. And so my goal is to maintain that mindset for as long as I can, because I know how easily it could potentially slip away. Mm-hmm. 
and probably the more I focus on it, the better chance I have of actually using it well. One shot at a time gets like really made fun of as a boring thing to say, but it really is the reality. It is, but I think you can look at more of an overall mentality in that one shot at a time or, you know, one hole at a time, you know, let's just go play every hole to make birdie and not be cautious and not, because what do we have to lose at this point? You know, I'm 34, I've got a few wins under my belt, you know, I'm ready to just go chase wins basically. You know, if I can get in contention more often and, and see how good I can be in contention, yeah, that's basically what I've always been playing for. And now I finally, I think, have the game and the opportunity to do it. So that's goal number one. And then, yeah, so the other goal would really just be continue the success, see if I can't go finish first in the FedEx Cup this year because that's the ultimate prize. Don't start tinkering now that you got status locked up. No that's doubt. what a lot of guys do. So, well, I, I got to say, this was one of my favorites. I'm, I'm thrilled to thank you for making time with us, one, a day after winning your second tour event in a row. But when we saw you two years ago, I didn't think I was looking at a, a guy that was going to win back-to-back. It just, I'm sure yeah. you felt the same, but I think it, this story is one of the greatest in golf that it, since I've started covering it. I think it's awesome. And, I appreciate uh, it. Appreciate your willingness to embrace it, steer it head-on, and talk about all these things because I think it uh, – it really is. It's what makes the story what it is. And I'm, I'm a sucker for a good perseverance story. So I love it. congratulations on all your success. Best of luck the rest of the year. And uh, hope, hope to see you on the President's Cup team. That'd be awesome. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me on. All right. Cheers. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most!